Jim Joyce. <laughs> we did it. We did it. We're in. I, uh, I, I saw a buddy of mine who is not in digital health, uh, but apparently watches these episodes. And he said, oh, really? his fav- yeah, I, I guess learning. I mean, he's, he's in uh, banking. Um, so, uh, but I guess in, you know, he's tracking some healthcare companies and stuff like that. So, he, but he says like the favorite part is Jim Joyce. The rest he doesn't listen to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to keep doing that. At least You got to start high, way. start high and then crash. <laughs> bore, the, bore the tears up. <laughs> Now you saw you had uh, you had lunch. You sent lunch with uh, our buddy there. Can you name, can you tell everyone they had lunch with Top Shelf? Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, actually, it was dinner, uh, and hence, dinner. I, honestly, I mean, it's tough. It's one you know one thirty p.m. Um, and I you know drinking the shot now, and I you know the, the day is still packed, so I'm saving them for dinners now. So I did have a a, a drink or two. No, no, I'm with, saying that's what we call that's what we call Bill Toronto. We call Bill to, the top shelf. That's right, the top <laughs> shelf Bill Toronto. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. And then who else? I saw right before just happened to be uh, Ed Cox was in town also, uh, you know, from Eversana. So he was flew in from San Diego to so I actually drove down to kind of PA New Jersey border. And um, yeah, yeah it, it's kind of weird to be out and you sort of still don't know what to do, like shake this. Yeah, it sounds like you, you seem like you have kind of a semi normal life, not, you know, as much as. <laughs> Yeah, especially, you know, it's been, you know, two weeks since I've got my second vaccination and all of that. So I'm kind of in, right. you know, as clear as we can. Right. Um, so but anyway, and you're back to Ireland. I'm back in Dublin, back in Dublin. I'm yeah. delighted. I was three weeks on the road. Um, you know, just with all the hassle yeah. of flying. So that was uh, just fantastic to get back to, to Dublin and just chill out. I'm looking to take a swim in the cold sea and just it's nice and sunny here. I've heard there's a heat wave where you are. It is, I'm sitting in, uh, this, this is why I'm not in the garage uh, okay. today. I mean, even with a fan, um, you know, I needed to move up in the world a little. So it's, so it's I, hot. I, I think we can't track, like, you know, you and I try to comment on like a, any big news items, but we're both, we're both moving a million miles per hour. The news is moving a million miles per hour. So digital health is just like, someone described it as like, it's like, you know, it's like the, it's, it's like the, you know. My only comment, and maybe uh, I'll, I'll take this down, like, what is really digital health, right? Like the, the bright uh, the bright IPO, right? It's like, is it really digital health? It's an insurance player, right? Like, I, I'm struggling. So let, let, let actually, because uh, our, our uh, Dutch friend living in Madrid is going to join us, Edward Cliphouse. And we'll, you know, he's a brilliant mind. And I had him on our wonderful DTX podcast. Excellent. So figured, uh, and I hope uh, he's wearing a nice shirt or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Nice. Welcome. Don't say anything because we're already recording. We're almost live. <laughs> hey, Ed, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good, Do you guys good, know good. each other? You've, you've, you've met? I'm just trying to make sure or, or no. Through Health Excel somehow. No? I think... <laughs> Yeah, through a couple of the a couple of the events and things. I mean, we definitely had a beer together. We definitely had a beer together. Yeah, I was saying you, you look like you've gotten trimmer or thinner during COVID. Or you're saying you're, or I said it already. I already did the scene. Dude, way. I mean, we gave up on it, so I don't know. It's all, but you were at, yeah, no, totally. I think we shared a. We were on a panel, maybe. Was that possible? We were on a panel oh, yeah, together. That's right. Yeah. Used to be panel buddies back the, when the, you, the, the good, you could have the two good men on a panel. <laughs> you could have two men on a panel. <laughs> 
good good old days of, of panels and and conferences but i you know i'm hearing it's coming back and you know i know health excel is doing something in dublin and boston now yeah um really? you know frontiers health uh, is gonna go hybrid but uh this november you know hlth in october in, in boston so you know a lot of things things are right. him Hims, which I'm not going to, and I don't know that many people who are in August. Um, it emerged in March. The it's a new conference right. in the Gulf. That's right. Night. That's right. That's well, now now that we we've pimped out a couple of them, let's get to you, <laughs> Mr. Cliphouse. I you know while you were sort of letting I was letting you in, I said our Dutch friend who is living in wonderful Madrid, but give give a million of listeners a little more in your background. Um. I guess the, uh, the, the long and short of it is Dutch fled the country quite soon after graduation, um, went to Switzerland, uh, actually joined the Merck corporate venture arm at that point. Then in some random fluke of events, actually- Which Merck? You got to specify for the- uh, Yeah, you're right. Here. I mean, where is this going to be broadcast? This is- This is, this is everywhere. Merck. This is global. Global, man. baby. Global. That's global. The Merck KGA Darmstadt, Germany. There you That's go. the one. That's yeah. the one. Um, so yeah, uh, was there when, when the uh, original corporate venture arm was being set up uh, in Geneva, then actually moved to Singapore for a while, lived in, uh, uh, back, to, back to Geneva, uh, then spent time between London and Amsterdam, um, ended again up in, in M-Ventures, so the corporate venture arm of Merck KGA, Darmstadt, Germany. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, then, uh, then, then moved to Spain at some point. And I guess that's the uninteresting part. I mean, the interesting part we can also touch on, which is, you know, the 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 random events that sort of like led there, and you know, um, I guess some of the things that people don't know about you, like for example, me having been arrested in Azerbaijan. And what? Like <laughs> oh, where are we going? I like this. I like Wait, this. that's the more interesting part of this conversation. <laughs> I the, the many years I've known, I've never heard this story, even over yeah, a drink. But and you're the so first person. You're the first person, or maybe second person, I know that's been arrested in Azerbaijan. <laughs> maybe second. That, actually, that makes me that makes me wonder who the first person is, and if I ever if I ever can ask you for an intro there. But but give give us like I don't know ten seconds on it at least. You can't just like it's like a cliffhanger. Was yeah, there a, Euro, a Eurovision contest? Eurovision contest. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know, I know you for such a long time. Like, what can I, what can I say right now that would like completely throw him off? And and this was the one I, thing I was moving on. I don't um, even want to talk about digital health. This is it. This is the topic <laughs> for today. <laughs> so yeah, but long story short, we basically uh, did the Mongol rally, which was a rally from London to Mongolia. And um, being arrested is probably a big word, but I was definitely held for uh, having unfortunately overextended my welcome in the country. So we got in and the visa had expired. Uh, me being the technical owner of the car, we basically wanted to cross into Kazakhstan. Um, but unfortunately there was no ferry because little did we know there aren't any ferries. Uh, you have to basically just get your way onto like a freighter or something like that. Uh, so by the time we basically got to that point, um, you know, I, I was, caught out with a non-valid uh, visa any longer. And so I had to extend that. And, you know, <laughs> that was interesting. That, all that right, took, all right. 24 hours, let's put it like that. That's good, it's good. good. I think it's important. That's an important event in your, is that, was it shaping in your life and how you think about things? And did you uh, reflect on? <laughs> so, so actually, you know what? So 
Okay, now, now I'm going to take two minutes for this because this this is an interesting story. So basically, um, what did shape me of that whole journey was, you know, the preparation of getting there was quite an arduous event because we had to plan out all the visa and you know this is not like you're flying into a country and, and getting in and leaving at the same the same port of embarkation and disembarkation. You basically go in through a land border on one side and you go out on another side. And some of these countries are extremely hard to get into, let alone get that sort of transit visa for. So. We had planned up meticulously, you know, with, with a team of three, like how can we get all these visas in place and, and sort of like with the right time frame to, to get to Mongolia. Um, so I was in investment banking at the time um, and I could only get four weeks off. And my mates got five weeks off. So I flew to London. We basically saw them off. And then I was meeting them in Istanbul. Now I'm following this tracker, this GPS responder that's, that's mounted on the bonnet of the car while I'm sitting behind my Bloomberg screen. And at some point this thing stops in Budapest and then it leaves Budapest and they go back and I'm like, damn, what's going on? So I'm calling them up. Turns out a backpack was stolen from the car and one of our mates, uh, one of our mates' passports, including all his visas, was in there. So Holy. he got a replacement passport. Now, luckily he had a second passport and we basically, I'll spare you all the details, but we managed to get all the visas uh, that were required to basically get to our goal, which was highly unlikely. Um, I got some interesting tricks that I learned along the way there. And what, what it has taught me, including this sort of like, you know, making your way out of a, uh, it's called a bit of a, a tight spot in Azerbaijan is that really nothing is impossible. And, and you know, as long as you believe in it. And I, I, I like to think that I at least bring that sort of like idea to my day-to-day -day work as well. So like Jim, it. you know how you asked the question at the end? Right. For all our guests, right. we start now because <laughs> this sounds like a very much a persistent startup story, right? Like, yeah, I know, oh, definitely. But I want to unpack, I want to no, unpack because like, I think of you at like when, you know, like I think when I met you at the Health Excel event, you were M Ventures and you had done some, you know, so you guys were kind of like, that was kind of one of the early digital health funds, right? Like focus in or so, so uh, like, give us a little bit, you know, unpack that a little bit entering the digital health space. Like, how'd you get here? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we actually, um, so M Ventures, the genesis of it really, I have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, my, my former boss rule, I don't know what he did, but he managed to convince a traditional German pharmaceutical firm to actually allocate 40 million uh, to high-risk venture capital in 2009, which again, amazing how he how he managed to do that. Yeah. But it was really a good opportunity for us because we were, you know, able to 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 basically invest at a time when nobody else was really ready to deploy. That was great. Now, one of the original investments there was a, a deal called Oxygen, and that later on became Progeny. So as early as as the second investment, which later on for the listeners went public last right, year, and is now is now worth a couple of billion on Nasdaq. Yeah. Um, and so as, as early as, as 09, um, I guess we, we sort of like already looked at things at that point that were called health IT and now, of course, digital right. health. Um, so it was sort of in the DNA. Now, when I came back in 2014, originally we were investing in therapeutics only. But at some point, we, you know, we, we had a conversation with the Merck board and all of us agreed that the value that was derived from this therapeutics investment activity for the Merck uh, pharmaceutical franchise was really uh, tremendous. And so they asked us to establish a similar strategy for each of the other business units of the Merck Group. And in addition, um, uh, an investment fund that basically would capture, let's say, everything that would fall in between or go beyond what the other funds could do. And that's where we did a lot of this healthcare technology or digital health investment from. And so Akili was really the first one. Yep. Um, uh, and after that, we, we continued with investing in, in BioLink and Altoida. Uh, we made investments in, in, in companies 
um, like Sonda Health, which basically have normal biomarker development, MediSafe, medication management, and really did like 11 deals out of that fund. Right, right. But don't you like, just touching on Achille for a second, like, isn't that like the coolest investment ever? Like a, like a game, you know, that kids are allowed to play to, to deal with their attention deficit disorder. Like, isn't it just start with like, don't you just start like you want to make that investment? Like, <laughs> thesis. So it's on top of an Eddie, right? I mean, yeah. Great, great, great guy. Great guy. Right? Just, I don't know when that one. I know it. Yeah. <clears throat> in, the Venn, in the Venn diagram of things that, 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 that are interesting, that's set right there in the middle of like, this has everything. Like it has an impact in, in, in you know, outcomes. Um, it is evidence-based. And I guess another thing that you perhaps don't know about me, I spent my, um, uh, the, the, early, the, the late 90s and the early 2000s um, playing Unreal Tournament online and was actually rather good at it. We won capture the flag European Championship at some point. And so as a bit of a geek in DNA, I'm seeing this game and then like all these scientific right. things that are sort of like back it up. I'm like, this is everything. This is everything I, I love. I have to be involved in this. That's, awesome. that's, that's fantastic, man. Um, that's another thing I think I just learned about you again. Like I, you're just- I've, I've been preparing for this. You can see you, that. Uh, yeah, even though we're meticulously unproduced. But, but are you guys, like are you two the, uh, the Spanish kind of expat, you know, digital health gurus? Because are, are you going to stay in Madrid with this new job or, or like we haven't talked about that? Oh, wait. But... Yeah, we haven't even brought that up. Wait, oh, is this the first time anybody outside of your circle, like the millions of viewers that we have are going to hear this? Um, so, well, why don't you announce it here already? Yeah. So I, I, can, I can either confirm or deny, but there is, um, uh, th th there is a chance that maybe tomorrow, indeed, um, I'll, be, I'll be joining Sophie Nova Partners in Paris. Yes. Okay. Mm. So mid midnight, it's, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> got a couple hours, but it's, I'm, uh, we'll release it. And you will be officially an employee. We, we, Congratulations. We. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's fantastic. Congratulations. So, yeah. that, so that's a storied, you know, uh, bio, I think of biotechnology, healthcare, right? Obviously, techno, lots of aspects of it, but um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you can say about it because you don't want to get yourself in trouble in your first day of the job. <laughs> but but it's, it sounds like a good job. Yeah, no, look, I mean, it, it's, it's actually quite awesome. I mean, Sofinova is in, in, in recent years basically launched an ambitious strategy of, of you know, expanding beyond its uh, historical base, like their, their historical base of uh, investing in therapeutics. And so in just a few years, you can see that this platform has gone from just, you know, one fund and one investment um, and one office to basically five strategies, five investment teams, three offices. And it is very clear that, that you know, it won't stop there. Um, so this diversification has really enabled the firm to strengthen its position as, as you know, a pioneer in life sciences. And I guess, you know, it is, it is um, therefore promising to see what, what potential future opportunities might be part of this platform as well. But, but I'm going to just hypothesize here, given Edward's background, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we'll, 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 I guess we'll, we'll hear soon enough. Uh, we need to bring you back at some point. So okay. let's... Yeah, go ahead. Go, you go. No, I go. No, I, I was saying like, what part of the, like, having done all these investments over the time, like, like, you know, you know, don't to get into what you what stage you're going to be at, but like, what stage, what stage of the investment do you love? Like, do you, do you really like, I'm assuming you, you'll say it's the, the one you're working on now, but what stage? <laughs> for me, it's definitely like, you know, late say, late, late seed uh, series A stage. 
Um, because, see, I mean, th this comes maybe down to sort of a, a personal philosophy, but venture capital is not an end goal in and of itself. It is basically an equal partnership. And, you know, as much as I guess founders need to trust their investors, investors need to trust the founders. And I find that dialogue to be best had at the sort of like earlier stage, whereas the real seed seed stage might be a little bit too early for, for my personal taste, but like um, like the pre-seed and everything, I find that a little bit, it's too binary. Um, you, you're really, there's nothing to diligence. Um, and given that we're managing other people's money, I kind of always need to have something to sink my teeth into. Um, but frankly, you know, that seed, the late seed or series A stage where you have something to diligence, you can build up confidence. You can, you can say, actually, I believe the direction we're going, yet you still have that very personal relationship with the team. And it is a team effort to really grow that company forward um, and to ultimately get to product market fit. That's, uh, I, I get really excited about that. Yeah, it's kind of a magical moment, isn't it? That if you think about it, no matter what the investment strategy is, but that kind of moving to like, oh shit, we can actually, you know, we've got something repeatable here. We've got something yeah. It's kind of the team is kind of they can feel it. You can feel it. It's like, can that team get to Kazakhstan no yeah. matter what? <laughs> Basically, like, it's exactly that. Like you know, you say lost a few visas. Exactly. <laughs> Backpacks been stolen. You, you you find all of a sudden you know a bottle of vodka in your backpack halfway through the desert of Kazakhstan, which you know, not bad, stuff like that. Yeah, but it is a magical. It, it is a magical stage because if you think about it like that, like that, like when you first kind of go into it, that's kind of magical too, right? Like when you kind of step off and you you do that like initial founder stuff. That's kind of like because everything's possible, and then you get pretty much depressed until the stage you come in. Yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> and then you get another depression and another one and another one, right? Until maybe at some point. I mean, you, you guys know we, better than me. We even talked about this, Jim, I think. I mean, there's the, the famous, uh, you know, the, the, the startup cartoon. It's like, right. fuck, 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 yay, <laughs> right? And then, 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 then like, yay. <laughs> and it's, right. and it's I think yeah. for, for me, indeed, the, the, the thing is, you know, as a, especially as a VC investor, you, you kind of, you're, you're putting your balls on the line together and, you know, you're seeing it all the way through. And that is, that is something which, especially in the early stages, I think, you know, you're, you're making a bet on a, on a nucleic piece of technology and, and a nuclear team. And ultimately, hopefully together, you can bring these things forward and then, you know, look at the world afterwards and say, see, I was right. That's kind of, that's kind of cool. You know, I want, I want to dive in on something that I don't think we've ever talked about uh, with any other guests, but, you know, especially um, in digital health or in healthcare, I don't even know what digital health means anymore, right? Like Bright went public, it's an insurance or it's a large digital health. I don't know. Yeah, there's digital technologies everywhere. But anyway, that's a side don't, note. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. Just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah, I'm don't just going it. with it. All right. I'm not sweating it. But um, let's talk about boards, right? Um, and the role, and especially at that stage, what you said, right, between the seed and Series A, and the role of the board members. I don't, yeah, I don't think we ever talked. Like, what, what, what would you recommend startups, Edward, on how to deal with the boards, right? How to, uh, you know, uh, how to, to a certain extent, even some of the. Oh, I'll pause. You got, you got the question, man. I because I can keep yeah. going and going. I think, you know what, I hate that this is such a completely underlit subject because it is so fundamental mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of it. Um, now, 
you know, there's no golden rule, but I personally am in favor of, of at least having small and balanced boards, especially in early stages. So, you know, rule of thumb, seed, series seed, maybe three board members, series A and B, maybe five board members. If you go beyond that, you know, you can add people and it can become a little bit more heavy. Um, because also your, your, probably your directional decisions are going to be, you know, less binary. You're not, you're not going to say we're, we're going we're gonna to bet the farm on just taking a, a U-turn here. Um, at, th at that point, hopefully you've raised on, on, on having demonstrated mm -hmm. product market fit. So then, then the composition, I think, you know, um, I think it's very important to have investor representation. Um, and of course I would say that, but <laughs> I mean, I, I also personally think that the investors bring um, a sense of, of, of um, fiduciary obligation that basically value needs to be generated for shareholders and a level of accountability that is just important in a governance body because this is governance um now what i mean by that very concretely you know investors will look okay we have agreed on a budget are you underspending are you overspending and by the way underspending is not a good thing because money needs to be put to work mm -hmm. spending on budget is a good thing um so are you underspending are you overspending are you on budget are the timeline slipping if so why why are these timelines slipping is this something that you know comes from let's say managerial oversight or is it just a macro setback that couldn't have been foreseen but that we all agreed we have to now mitigate so it's it's things like that that just you need to have very honest conversations about and i think a lot of people see this as you know almost punitive but that's not what it is i think the best founders i work with embrace this because um it's almost like the proverbial frog that you throw in cold water and gradually you heat up the pan um you know if you're in the weeds of it Oftentimes you don't even realize a drift in, in timelines mm -hmm. or, or, you know, budget or whatever. And so having people coming in every once in a while, almost fresh, quote unquote, and saying, hey, what's going on, can really make for productive decisions and productive discussions. So that's, that, that's the investor side. Then personally, I think founders should be represented, which in Europe is not always the case. But, you know, preferably a CEO um, uh, and, you know, especially in the early stages, perhaps a co-founder. And then I personally like to have an independent uh, board member, because especially in early stages, somebody who can bring a level of, of, of governance to, you know, oftentimes we work with first time founder teams um, who basically says, look, I've been, I don't know, I've done this three times. I know the level of governance that needs to be instilled. What a board yep. deck how you need to communicate with your your shareholders and sort of like can function as that pivot almost a lightning rod between the two um i think makes for a very productive conversation if you if you if you abdicate that responsibility of you know time management in a board meeting um having to have dialogues with all investors constantly uh, to a ceo i think it, it makes you know the ceo is almost overburdened Whereas if you have an executive chair or a chair there, it puts a neutral factor in the middle that makes for a very productive and, um, you know, almost non-personal non for the wrong reasons relationship. And then personally, I like to have an independent board member in there. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the five. So two investors, maybe an independent board member, uh, founder, CEO, whomever, and an independent who can really provide value. Sounds good. Uh, free, free advice to all the startups listening in. There you go. Yeah, I, it, like when I when I think about this, it, it, it's like anything. It's a team, right? Like so, it's like so. You have all those like that lovely explanation of your roles, where the finance, the you know, the financiers bringing a level of discipline and accountability to the capital and this pace and the 
you know, in the strategy, right? And then the founders obviously bring in the, you know, the company, right, <laughs> to the table and <laughs> the company to the table. And they, um, <laughs> they don't, don't overlook the founder. And then, and then this neutral person is kind of like helping bridge that. But like, it's one of those things, like, even if you have that team, if the people aren't performing, like we're all watching the Euro Cup here, you know, if like the, if the person's not playing their position, then no matter what that is, right? If that neutral body can't bridge the two or leans one way or the other, or the financier overreaches, you know, or the entrepreneur doesn't let it happen. And, and, and I know you didn't ask this question now, but I think, you know, following sort of like the outline of, of the team, I think diving into the responsibilities and understanding what the individual drivers are is fundamental for this. So as, you know, if you're a founder, I would almost say it is almost your duty to understand what the rationale is for you know your board members to be there um, because that's your governance body and for example you know if somebody uh, uh, doesn't understand you know the difference between fiduciary obligation towards the company versus fiduciary obligation towards a fund uh, you know that's hard if yeah. somebody is um, in a fund as an investor perhaps and is on the way out then you might have a very solid relation with this individual but <laughs> she might be replaced by somebody else. Um, right. you know, Brian, yeah. Brian Dolan called it an orphaned company, right? Because if the board member that you trust, right. and right. I think, I don't remember if that was on, the, on our GTX podcast with Brian or, or one of the other guests, but yeah. Um, by the way, I know we're meticulously unproduced. I don't know where your mic is, Ed, but it yeah. seems like it's like almost like you're in the wind every time you talk. So just for oh, our, yeah, our, our, our listeners. Okay, there we go. It's 35 degrees here in Madrid, and I don't have aircon in the office. So let's see him sweat. Let's see him sweat. Yeah, the sweat. <laughs> you know, we're, we're... I can safely claim that you're not pressuring me, right? <laughs> we have a lot of tough questions. We're... This is a tough. Um, so we 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 actually, I think uh, the the next question I wanted to ask because I think I know you 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 were looking globally with M Ventures. I don't know what the scope will be with uh, Sophie Nova. But let's talk about digital health startups in Europe. And we had this discussion with uh, Lena Benner from First Minute also a bit on scaling digital health startups and lots of European companies get something moving, whether it's Netherlands or Belgium or Germany, and then they all open up an office in US. Uh, not all, I'm, I'm stereotyping, but... I know you have your deep thoughts on this uh, and let's extract it now that the heat is on. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is actually getting significantly hotter right now. So yes. We like it. Okay, we like well, it. You, you can turn it on and off just to cool yourself down a bit. But... <laughs> exactly. No, uh, listen, I think that that's the million dollar question. Um, personally, I think on, exactly, on, on uh, you know, the Euro, technology Euro push question. part of it. <laughs> The, the technology push part of it, Europe is fantastic. I mean, we have the most PhD graduates in the world in science and engineering. Fantastic, uh, uh, you know, academia that actually, if you correct for, for impact factor, have the highest proportion of high impact factor publications in the world. So on the scientific level, I think it's actually fantastic here. Then on the early stage venture side, I think it is also fantastic. Now, under the bond of early stage venture funds, though, you'll find that a lot of sovereign wealth funds are in there. And the majority of them will ask in return for their capital, a quid pro quo of only allocating venture money, for example, one or two times their committed capital in their home market. So that's already, you know, it doesn't have to be a jeopardizing factor for, for, for growth or scale up, but it could be. Um, so that's already one of them. Now, 
so I'm very bullish on Europe in sort of technical innovation and, and, and science coming out of it and the opportunities that we can back. And the, the thesis that I, you know, at least like to, to sort of like uh, think where we've been executing on is if you play fundamental human biology, let's take Achille again, for example, upregulation of uh, cognition by inducing neuroplasticity, so changing the prefrontal cortex, uh, essentially the, the connections. That's the same for an individual in Europe as it is for an individual in the States, as it is for an individual in Africa, Asia, bloody Antarctica. So if you're playing fundamental human biology, then the scalability is, you know, just as, as, as big as you want it to be. Um, that's why I think actually Europe is a fantastic opportunity for, to seek uh, innovation and, and scaling globally. Now, scaling within Europe, that's a different question. And I think the challenge there is, in one word, fragmentation along yeah. you know, <clears throat> any level. Um, and the, it, it starts with, if you think about why, by and large, people are you know, still employed by larger corporates rather than by startups, in, in the whole of, of, of Europe, um, it is probably because the, the opportunity cost of moving countries, as you have done, as I have done, is just high. And, you know, if you, if you think about that in the US, you can go from Minnesota to Boston, your bank account stays the same, your cell phone stays the same, your kids have the same kind of education, maybe in a different place, but, you know, kind of. Whereas if you do the same and you move from, I don't know, the Netherlands to Spain, like I did, it's a different really? thing. I still was shocked when I moved to Spain that I can't just give my Revolut account, right? Like for automated payments, they need a Spanish bank account. And I'm like, why? Oh, really? But oh, yeah. 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 yeah, side note. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely bonkers in these things. So um, there's, the, there's all these kind of like, I think mobility issues that therefore, you know, create an additional hurdle to get people to come and be all together. Now COVID might've corrected for that, but I think in fundamental science, you might still need people to move to a certain location. So that's, that, that's perhaps one. Then the second one is, you know, regulation. And the third one will be capitalism, sort of the capitalist markets. If you think about the US, you know, the, the, I was listening to, to, to uh, Glenn's um, uh, podcast on um, uh, W2F. Um, the, uh, With Jess DeMassa? Yeah, I, it's yeah. in my queue. I haven't, uh, I haven't watched it's, it yet. It's a great interview. And, um, uh, you know, Transcerrent is, is, is he's, doing, he's doing great things. But that model is very hard to replicate in Europe because... If you go to the NHS here, that's a single payer system, they'll, they're just not interested. So the pricing power is different. And, and that's why I think for a lot of these point solutions, you'll find, or even experiences, uh, you'll find that the US is the place to be. Because for example, as you well know, I don't get to choose my healthcare here necessarily. I, I get to choose an insurer, but then that's kind of it. Like they kind of like choose the package for you. And in the Netherlands, there's not even a choice. You just go to the GP and that's about it. So that's the scaling problem, I, I, I think. There's the decision-making, the, the disconnect between those who benefit, those who pay, and those who need to adopt. You know, also, like we're, we're just seeing right now is this is like where the capital is, you know? So if you have, you know, if you have companies, like I always think like with, with my own company, with Health Beacon, that, you know, I, I remember trying to raise capital when I was first seeding the company and trying to do both the U.S. and Irish investors and just was incompatible. Like it wasn't incompatible if, um, you know, if we had, a, you know, a patent on, you know, the coronavirus. Sorry, second time, <laughs> you know, but uh, I stopped counting. <laughs> but but I mean, if, if you had something that was just like, you know, everyone was throwing money in, but you have a new idea and you're through, it was incompatible. Uh, you know, I could I could have raised the raise in the U.S. or I could have raised in Europe. And then as the company got bigger, 
then, it, you know, when I looked to talk to VCs, they wanted me almost like center of gravity had to move to the US, yet we were getting traction in Europe. And they almost discounted the traction in Europe. So, so you know, they, you just needed to talk with those investors at largely on US mm -hmm. terms. So, like, you know, and, so the capital is, is US. And, and now, Jim, you're a global company. Now we're global, baby. <laughs> global. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because you're absolutely right. It is even from the top down. From the top down, there's these challenges that, you know, is there a single pool of capital or a single stock market in Europe that would embrace all technology startups like a NASDAQ? No, there isn't. And it's been tried, by the way, uh, the, the, the Euro NASDAQ or whatever it's called. Um, and it's very hard. So the, you know, therefore there's no concentration of capital. Therefore there's no diversification in, in the stock market. Like I, I worked in the public markets for a while as a specialist sort of broker, brokering specialist stocks. And in Europe, by and large, people are organized by their, by their geography. Whereas in the US you'll find, you know, specialist investors like RA Capital, Baker Brothers, uh, Perceptive on the public markets who have such depth of knowledge that they can, you know, pinpoint biological mechanisms and everything. And the reason why they can do that is because there's so many more opportunities for them to back that they can be specialized. And this, this is, is a great segue. This is a great uh, segue. Yeah, I was going to say public segments, public public money. So let's talk, let's talk SPACs. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm still dumbfounded and I won't be mentioning the few SPACs. I don't think there was any SPACs this week so far, to my knowledge. Well, not, not the digital health SPACs that I've heard. Again, I haven't been paying attention. But somebody's going to lose their shirt on some of these valuations. Just wait a little while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing a health coach thing. You just ask the question and you pause and you let others talk. Let me, let me, let me, re, you know, ask you another question. What is value? Uh, value should be not tied to valuation. Just kidding. But that's price and value are different things. I agree. Um, but yeah, there's, I don't know if you guys have read the book by Charles Mackey, Popular Delusions um, and, and the Madness of the Crowds. I have not. This is a guy in, the, in, in what, the 19th century who, who, who made and lost his fortune like three times over. Uh, and he writes this book about, you know, uh, bubble formations like the, the Trudemania and the South Sea bubble and everything. Brilliant, brilliant read for people who, um, uh, who are interested in this sort of stuff. Now, I don't know. I mean, specs are, are, are interesting and, and who am I to say that they're good or not? I mean, I can see the appeal. You get a 4% pop for investors, which in a low interest rate world, you simply can't get elsewhere. Um, and if you don't like the, 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 the acquisition target being presented, you know what? You get replaced and you still get your 4% pop. So that's it. But um, yeah, there is, there is a bit of, you know, you, you're, you're getting companies that are not publicly traded that are not necessarily endorsed by the public for going public. And, 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 we'll, we'll and that, that, to me is the, that, that to me is the interesting, right? If the fundamentals and the economics of a business are there, they go IPO through the more traditional or maybe less traditional right depends on but the spec uh, especially that 18 to 20 months uh that you have to fill it and therefore we're looking at these um sometimes subpar companies um and then again right so the early investors will make their money i i mean there there's a value extraction go back to value right um component but then the public will in many cases lose out 
Well, because so here's, fun, I'm just, yeah. the fun, some of the fundamentals in the math just doesn't add up for me. In, well, in like I still go long AMC. <laughs> All jokes aside, I mean, I, I think I think it's less about I think it's less about uh, specs um, than it is about you know actual value. I think it's a much more systemic uh, thing that's going on. Um, again, you know, the East India Company sort of was the first ones to be publicly traded, right? It was publicly traded because people were getting a share of the wealth that was being brought back to the Netherlands and then you know afterwards to other places. Now, we're a far cry from that today. I mean, as an investor in Tesla, you're not speculating on getting a distribution that would, that would basically give you back a purchase price of your shares over a period of time. You're speculating on the price going up and somebody else at some point acquiring that. And, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are dividend stocks, but maybe, you know, high dividends, what, 5%. So it takes 20 years to make your investment back. So basically, you know, the disconnect between what what is underlying value and what is basically being speculated on priced in, I think that's the more concerning factor for me. And, and that's why I always find it so interesting when people, for example, say, you know, venture capital is so risky. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. It is risky. But basically what we do is we buy oversized clothes for a very small child and we hope that the child grows into it. But isn't that what's happening on the stock market as well? I like that. That's, but, a, that's a good that's a good comparison i like that i like that versus versus usually the i, I sometimes the the venture capitalists try to give the large entrepreneurs uh first communion suits <laughs> 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 but but um but but if you if you think about the uh if you think about the 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 that's plan, visual in my head now sorry it sticks in my head go on you, you know, you know, you tried to do it. <laughs> See if this will fit you, like Ben Affleck and uh, Goodwill. <laughs> but, but if you um, if you think about, let's just cut to the chase, like paratherapeutics here, right? Like, you know, in, I don't know if you're compromised anyway on this one, but like, uh, is is what what's being funded? Like, when I was thinking about that, like, it's it's a classic, you know, bear versus bull, right? Like, it's like the cynics have so much to work with. You know, the, the doubters have so much to work with, right? You know, maybe the pragmatists, maybe practical people, maybe logical people, they have a lot to work with, you know, uh, the investigators, right? And, but then you also have the bulls in the space, right? Like, and the people, the ambitious side of it. And it's a classic case that, um, you know, without getting into all the detail, and I don't know all the detail, but like really what's being funded is an incredibly, incredibly ambitious game plan where you're talking about revolutionizing an aspect of how medicines are managed in a very digital way that doesn't happen today. You know, you know, nascent distribution of dis, uh, digital therapeutics out there. And these guys are saying it's going to take a lot of money. And then if you take that view, it's a bit like the Tesla view. And, I, you know, again, without getting into detail of, of them, yeah. that's, that's the classic and, battle. And, and, and by the way, now that I think there was 400 million for pair as part of this, and you can go and do some acquisitions and on right. you know cash and stock, right? To fill in fill in those pants or oversized suits. So. Well, exactly, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, <clears throat> this this is the interesting the interesting thing. If you pair can now buy scale in inorganically, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a strategy that private equity has been doing forever. Um, so good on them. Um, I don't know the nitty gritty of the deal either. Uh, the only thing I can I can say is I think you know fantastically well done for Corey and the team and and being now uh, on this route. 
I think is a, you know, hopefully they're, they're one of the trailblazers. Hopefully it sets a precedent. Now, um, of course, if you read through the prospectus, you see what the projected revenues are. Yeah, that's a bit of a shocker. On the other hand, nobody sees what kind of work perhaps has been put into the platform. And I know firsthand from, 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 from the work of some of the other companies that we invested in, that the go-to-market strategy is, is not something to be completely ignored. Like that is, is not trivial. And so the investment that has been made there uh, is oftentimes not recognized by non-specialist investors because they're looking at top line and perhaps EBIT margins. Whereas since you have invested in the infrastructure, since you put your time and money to basically create all that infrastructure, all the picks and shovels, the rest of the, of the, the products that come after it they need that kind of scale and distribution power and you all of a sudden become that. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's pairs play. I don't know about that. But right. um, I'm just saying like the, the, the picks and shovels, the data plays, um, that's the interesting part, I think, for me, where digital still has a lot of ground to cover. Yep. And so right. it's not unreasonable to infer that, you know, a pair could well become a digital pharma instead of being a digital biotech as it perhaps is today. And, and people are not recognizing that yet. And, and it becomes, you know, a huge component of the USP and, you know, for others competitors. I mean, it took, what, almost a decade to build what, and again, I, I don't know either what's behind the scenes, right? Um, but uh, we should, we should go, get go, Corey go, on go, here. Yeah. You should get him on. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, so we're, you know, I, I mean, we can keep, peeling the onion left and right and sideways. I'd like to get back to the Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan story, but I, I think we covered enough there. But uh, I don't know, Jim, Joyce, do you want to go with your uh, the final yeah, yeah. question? So, so picture yourself a, a, a you know, a 30-year-old retired venture capitalist that's stuck trying to get his expired, get out of uh, detention in Azerbaijan and you're contemplating uh, launching your own digital healthcare company. Um, what advice would you give that entrepreneur right now that was launching that digital health company in the year 2021? Oh, get God. a solid visa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> make sure, make sure you get a solid visa and whatever you do, carry a lot of Marlboro packs red because that's the bribery <laughs> currency in that part of the world. I'm not endorsing smoking, by the way. I'm just saying that that's the currency in that part of the world. Clear, um, clear. Um, for border guards, that is, before I get vilified by, by all kinds of people. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, that's, that, that's a difficult one. I guess the, 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 main, the main advice for me is, I'm, I'm maybe a bit of an idealist. And what I look for is there's a lot, of, a lot of companies out there that are playing regulation. And what I mean by that is, you know, regulators have defined that, for example, you have um, a sufficiently uh, good product if you... Um, in 30 days, move somebody from, you know, being pre-diabetic down to, to normal levels again and not becoming diabetic. But, you know, without follow-up, that person three months later is diabetic. So is that really creating the value that you want to create? What I'm trying to say is, for me, playing the fundamental values, playing the fundamental improvement in outcomes, the fundamental improvement in, 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 in patient well-being that's the part that gets me excited because I'm a firm believer that, you know, coming back to what is value, that's in the end true value. When, when everything said is said and done, if you can truly change uh, uh, the health outcome for individuals and not just some regulatory threshold that's being said, but that is actually in real life meaningless, then that is something that people are willing to pay for. I'm going to do 15,000 steps today. <laughs> 
I like it. I like it. I thought that's a great response. We haven't had that. That's fantastic. fantastic. Love it. Well, uh, thank you for making the time. Uh, you got a couple of hours to count. Congrats on the new gig. Um, <laughs> you sleep. You sleep tight tonight. And for all the millions of think, listeners can, and viewers, you, you've, yeah, you've yeah. asked me now a couple of questions. So, <laughs> that, 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 can I ask you guys one question then? What is out, out of this? Wait, wait! Moment? I'm gonna stop recording. No, <laughs> go ahead. But go ahead. So, out of out of all the out of all the interviews you've done, um, what what has been sort of like your one takeaway observation that you would say, you know, if I were 30 years retired, whatever, uh, this would be my advice? Because you guys have a lot of data points collected through this time. It's true. It's true. And and we are gonna try to digitize it, but um, so I think. If we actually in, um, transcribe these uh, these interviews, I think team will come out. That level of persistence will come out. Um, I think some of these traditional things that kind of sound cliche, but they're the real deal, right? It's people that are driving this. And so like a lot of them focus, it'd be actually interesting to rewind our six seasons just for that question alone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for me, for me, it's for me, it's the I when you do something new, uh, you need uh, friends, right? You know, like that from the Ratatouille quote. And so this has been a, you know, the new the new needs friends. And so I think what's been that's come out for me is that the enthusiasm, the persistence, you know, the the fact that keeping the network, the energy like uh, Eugene was asked on the last podcast. I asked the guy that worked with Eugene 10 years ago. Um, what was it like working with him, you know, where 20 years ago? And he said, and I stopped, and I stopped recording then too. No, <laughs> he said, he said, he said that Eugene said that lots of energy in anything was possible. So that's the, that's the quote I'll give you. All, All right. right. I love awesome. it. And when, and, and, and we'll maybe get an intern to, uh, to, to summarize the findings. That's actually a good point. We're like, yeah, we're like, we had like 60 people on, right? And amazing individuals. So yeah, cool. Good stuff. Awesome. On that note, hit the subscribe and follow to get more insights from people like Edward Cliphouse. <laughs> Over and out.